Trends in technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more coming up on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The cutting edge of cannabis, consulted by the American Cannabis Company, starts now. Welcome to the cutting edge of cannabis. I'm your host, Ellis Smith. Today, we're gonna to be speaking with Dan Rhoda, co-founder and CEO of Abaca. Abaca was founded by three partners and is a financial technology company that provides banking, payment, and lending solutions to the cannabis and hemp industries in several states. Dan's got a background uh, where he went to school at Tulane University, went to Villanova Law School in PA. Uh, Dan, you're the vice president of the Arkansas Cannabis Industry Association. And I saw something about the University of Alabama, so I got to give you a war eagle since I went to Auburn. So uh, <laughs> welcome, Dan. How are you today? Man, I'm doing great. Good to be here. And thank you for having me. Heck yeah. So uh, we've known you for many years now, Dan, and see what you guys are doing with the banking side. And I'm super excited to have you on today for our audience to learn more about what Abaca is and, and who you guys are and how you may bring value to their company in the cannabis space and hemp space. So that being said, um, you it looks like you got exposed to the cannabis sector by writing applications in Arkansas. And through that process, that really gave you the the insight of the problem with our banking. And uh, that's what kind of led you to start Abacus. If you could explain to me uh, what you really saw and how Abaca was developed from that. Well, so I always ask that nobody hold this against me, uh, but I'm an attorney by trade uh, here in Little Rock uh, in Arkansas. After we passed our medical cannabis measure in 2016, there was a period of time where it seemed like everybody and their brother was rushing to get into the industry. And uh, I found myself, along with many of the other attorneys in town, uh, being approached by clients and potential clients who were looking to get into the industry in some form or fashion. And I ended up working on a number of different applications. And that was really where uh, I first encountered the banking problem in cannabis. Now, by the time Arkansas had passed our medical cannabis measure, we were the 22nd or 23rd state in the country to do so. And so fortunately for us, uh, as I began researching the problem, uh, I realized that there were some financial institutions starting in Colorado and then in other states who had begun serving the industry. And we realized it's a problem, but it's a misunderstood one. Uh, it's solvable. Uh, and there's really a lot of applicability for technology to help out. And so that was the genesis for forming Abaca. Awesome. And so let's let's give our audience kind of the, the current status on the federal stance on banking and how has Abaca been able to solve this? Sure. So, you know, the easiest way to break it down uh, is like this. Uh, as we all know, cannabis is still, as of today, illegal under the federal laws of the United States. It's considered a Schedule One controlled substance, which means it has no acceptable uh, purpose, not even an acceptable medical purpose. Uh, and yet, uh, more than half of the states in the country at this point have passed some law legalizing it in some form or fashion for medical use, uh, for adult use, or uh, in some cases, both. And so this has left us with this system in the country uh, where this economy has taken root, and a lot would a lot of people would agree that really the cat's out of the bag. The, the industry has uh, you know become far too ingrained in society to roll back the clock on all this work that's been done. And a lot of people wonder, you know, what what has happened here? How is something that is against the laws of the country 
allowed now in more than half the states and allowed to such an extent that we all agree that there's really, you know, no turning back at this point. It was a $15 billion industry last year and growing. And, uh, you know, it, it's a gray area. It's a gray area that's persisted for a long time. Uh, but there is a tiny, tiny thread of federal policy that goes back to 2014 that set a hands-off approach for the Justice Department, uh, which includes all the, the U.S. attorneys across the country that would be uh, prosecuting for violations of, of federal law, as well as the Treasury Department that regulates the banks. And so there is a pathway, just like how uh, somebody in any state where there is a legal cannabis industry can open a cannabis business and follow the rules in the state and they can go to sleep feeling fairly comfortable that the feds aren't going to show up knocking at the door and take them away if they follow the rules and, and uh, do things the right way. Uh, well, in much the same way, there are banks that can service the cannabis industry. Uh, but just like you, the business owner, to get in the industry, have to take the risk of violating federal law. So too do the banks that serve the industry. And the banks that are willing to do that are, are very, very few in number. That is for sure. You know, we see <clears throat> as a public company and really not even touching the plant, we've had problems with banking ourselves. Even with selling dirt that we sell to the cannabis industry, banks have a hard time managing our accounts. So it's it's a very crazy landscape out there for businesses and very challenging for uh, to businesses to find banking. And then the fees are over the top. And so it's so. With that being said, how does Abaco work? How do your services work? And how do you kind of uh, bring uh, some normalcy to these operators that right now is challenging to find? So just like uh, the operators of cannabis businesses have to go to great lengths to ensure that their operations are, are in compliance, and it's really a very big part of the job uh, anywhere you are in the supply chain, whether you're a dispensary, processor, cultivator, uh, or even selling an ancillary product like you guys, compliance with uh, you know the local regulations, of advertising requirements, of all these different things is a very important part of your job. Uh, for a financial institution, a bank or credit union that takes money from a cannabis business, compliance is a very, very important part of how they do that as well. And so uh, just like you in, in your business and, and uh, your listeners and their businesses spend a lot of time and often uh, spend a lot of money um, making sure you are in compliance, the banks have to spend a lot of time doing this as well. And so we looked at how banks and credit unions were uh, managing this compliance burden and what is primarily done, what had originally been the way to solve this problem was to throw people at it, hire compliance officers and, and just tell them to get to work. And we looked at that as uh, an inefficient process and uh, have developed technology that uh, that helps us uh, extract some efficiency and uh, really manage the, the workload and the data intelligence required in order to allow financial institutions to meet this burden. And so, uh, you know, originally when there were just a, a few, you know, 10 or fewer financial institutions in the country that would take your money if you were in the cannabis business, it was not unheard of to have fees that started at 5000 a month and, and went up uh, quite a bit higher from there. Thanks to the yeah, it, it, it is, but it's, you know, it's a tremendous amount of work and also risk that uh, those financial institutions were taking. And so, that's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, now with technology, we are able to reduce uh, that labor burden and we are able to reduce that cost. And uh, it's something we're continuing to work on and continuing to drive down. 
as we see more financial institutions begin to get comfortable serving the industry, uh, we will see this cost come down even further. Uh, however, much like casino, gaming is a legal but cash-intensive and heavily regulated industry in the U.S. Uh, even after something like the Safe Banking Act were to pass, uh, we don't think this compliance cost is going to go completely to zero. It, it will still, uh, it will still be there one way or another. Well, it makes sense. We, we've got to have the checks and balances to really just ensure this industry is following, um, you know, the right guidelines. And I think having those checks and balances are, are what's going to make this industry become more legitimate and become um, looked at like a true business um, as opposed to how we're being viewed now and how we're being treated. Well, that, that is absolutely right. And it's, you know, it's those core concepts uh, that were first released back in 2014 uh, in what was called the Cole Memo that was released by uh, the Attorney General. It set forth the Justice Department's policy, and it basically set out a list of very bad things that as long as state legal cannabis businesses were not doing them, uh, the Justice Department was not particularly interested in prosecuting or investigating them. And so uh, many of your listeners may remember that back at the beginning of the Trump administration, when Jeff Sessions was attorney general, he, uh, you know, that, as we say down here in the South, you know, that's that's a dog that had more bark than bite. Uh, but he started barking <laughs> at the cannabis industry pretty quickly uh, after getting into office. And the most public thing, uh, the most widely noticed thing that happened was that the coal memos were rescinded. And so you had this official hands-off policy uh, that went away. Uh, however, two key things uh, have happened or really have not happened since then. Uh, one is that even though the coal memos have gone away, you still have not had a major prosecution uh, by the U.S. Uh, Department of Justice or any U.S. attorney nationwide against a state legal cannabis business, whereas prior to the coal memos uh, in some of the early states that had medical and recreational cannabis, this was a very real possibility, a much more imminent threat that operators had to take. Now it seems like almost an academic threat in that since the coal memos passed, uh, it, it hasn't happened. Uh, the other thing that has not happened since then is that the Treasury Department's guidance for banks, which came out the same day as the coal memos, that hasn't been rescinded. That is stayed in effect. And, and so these very bad things, which are letting product fall into the hands of miners or into the black market or be transported across state lines or using your cannabis business as a pretext for uh, money laundering or other illicit activity, you know, all these things that any good operator and any good steward of the industry doesn't want to see happening in the industry anyway. Uh, this list of these things is still enshrined in this banking guidance. And so the financial institutions are still charged with making sure uh, that you, the cannabis business, are not doing these things. And so, uh, you know, there is a, a compliance burden for a cannabis business uh, to be banked. But, you know, as we see, it's, uh, you know, the good actors out there who are above board and who are eager and, and you know, not just able, but uh, really ready to meet that burden. And, you know, there are some out there who don't want to be banked, who would rather operate in the shadows. Uh, but the good news is, as this industry matures, we see those people less and less. Yeah, let's take a quick break and when we come back, we'll continue talking. Time to cut to commercial. More of the cutting edge of cannabis is coming up. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah. 
how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at s-h-o-o-g-i-e-s dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Plant Profits. I'm Vern Davis, and I'd like to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. We call them the Plant Profits. Each week on Plant Profits, we talk to the people at the forefront of the industry, creating real companies and career opportunities. We'll learn from the people leading the charge into the promised land of profit. Plant Profits is powered by Protus Global, people solutions firm that has been building companies, changing lives since 1995. P-R-O-T-I-S Find Plant Profits now at CannabisRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. The cutting edge of cannabis now continues only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. I've got Dan Rhoda, who's the co-founder and CEO of Abaca. All right, Dan, let's, I want to dive in more and let's understand, you know, from a, a dispensary standpoint, what are the different forms of credit card and electronic payment processing that are available to these businesses? And what is, what's, where's all the confusion and what is legitimate and what is not out there? As I see so many different um, experiences when I go into dispensaries, uh, some are just, they're, they're cash only. They have an ATM there. You pull the cash out. Some have, you bring out your debit card. They will scan that, put it on another card and that card gets swiped. And it's a crazy experience no matter where you go. And so let's bring a little understanding to our audience on, you know, what, what are they up against and how, what are you guys doing to help this? Yeah, that, that's a great question. When it comes to payment processing in the dispensary setting, this is one of those areas where uh, you can get together a handful of uh, knowledgeable, educated people in this space and, and you know line them up, and they may all give you a completely different answer to that question. Uh, it is such a gray area that reasonable minds uh, may, and in fact, often do disagree. And what it comes down to is this. Uh, since, as we discussed before the break, cannabis is a Schedule One controlled substance, 
the major credit card brands, that is to say, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover, uh, still in what's known as the card brand rules, the rules that govern their payment processing networks, uh, they prohibit, expressly prohibit transactions in cannabis as they prohibit transactions in anything that violates the law of the United States, which is certainly a reasonable perspective to have. Uh, but in the wake of that, as the cannabis industry has grown and proliferated throughout the U.S., uh, we have seen another, uh, really a number of alternative payment methods or workarounds uh, come up to try and fill that gap. And they run kind of the spectrum of legitimate uh, to otherwise. And uh, you know that I can kind of break it down in a little more detail uh, if you please. like. Please, yeah, you know, like, I'd love to hear this. I'm sure our audience would too. So there are a few main categories there. Uh, you know, one that we see uh, a lot more of today, especially in this, uh, you know, in this pandemic environment that we're in right now, are these app-based solutions. Uh, some like uh, CanPay, particularly, have been around for a while. Uh, others like HyperPay are maybe newer on the scene, but these are an app that uh, lives on your mobile device that you would link directly with a bank account. And so avoiding uh, the credit card rails entirely, you are uh, transacting directly from your bank account to your dispensary of choice there. And so uh, these app-based methods do take a little bit of setup work to get an account open and, and linked to your bank account. But once they're up and running, they're, they're really pretty easy. And the thing that's the added bonus in today's environment is that they're contactless, or which has become become a big buzzword lately in a lot of industries. And so these app-based methods are nice. Uh, however, there are still a lot of people out there, in fact, the majority of people, as studies uh, still show, that will default to wanting to use the piece of plastic that's in their pocket, their credit or their debit card. And uh, a couple of different ways that that has been facilitated uh, at the dispensary level. Uh, some involves APMs, uh, where uh, a, either a conventional ATM is present at the dispensary or, or in some cases ATM software is running on a payment processing terminal called this reverse ATM or cashless ATM. Uh, that is pretty common in dispensaries and uh, relatively stable processes on the, the debit rails rather than the, than the credit rails, although there are people out there that uh, will take issue to my statement that that is a, a legitimate method. Others will disagree with me on that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's that's the way it goes in this industry. Uh, going further up the risk chain, uh, there's the thing you described, uh, what we call two-step solutions, where transaction one will be loading either a physical gift card or uh, a virtual gift card or e-wallet, or perhaps even purchasing some cryptocurrency and storing that in an e-wallet. And that first transaction is a credit card transaction. Uh, the processor there, the facilitator is telling uh, the credit card brands there, you know, they're not saying this is a cannabis transaction. They're saying it's a gift card transaction or a crypto transaction. And so, you know, that gets through, the wallet is loaded, and then uh, in step two, the wallet settles to the merchant. And, you know, these work until they don't work. Uh, what has happened and in some cases has happened in a spectacular fashion is that the card processors did ultimately realize what was happening in one of these methods and shut it down. And so, you know, uh, you can see some of these companies and uh, some of the litigation going on that involves some of these methods to see about some of the potential risks and pitfalls there. Uh, and then at the other uh, opposite end of the spectrum, you just have what in the payment card industry they refer to as masking. 
A better word for it might be fraud. Some would tell you it's harmless fraud. I would argue that it is uh, risky for you and your business in a few different ways, but it's as simple as, uh, you know, just lying or misrepresenting the nature of your business in order to get those payment card terminals and somebody will sign up and say they're a florist or a taco truck and yep. uh, you know the terminals are they'll work at the dispensary for a few weeks or months or really until you build up uh you know some volume level where uh the processor is doing due diligence and they come out or check into it and figure out you know what you really are doing and they'll shut you down and you go into the dispensary and the bud tender says yeah the credit cards aren't working this week uh, but you know we'll have some new terminals next week they don't have any idea you see this a lot uh and and some people do consider that harmless but it does create a lot of business interruption and as we've seen with these lawsuits uh you can have your funds tied up in court for quite some time so it can be uh it can be a risk there but ultimately is you know the industry that we're in uh ha- as it's grown it is a frontier industry uh people have had to push the envelope in a number of different ways and payments acceptance is just one of those ways so you know it's it's still kind of a, a an interesting and uh, always evolving landscape out there and really we think uh, until the federal law is changed uh, that that's just how it's going to be well you you, you touched on the safe banking act earlier what's the latest there and how would that change things? Yeah, so that that's a really timely conversation. As, uh, the, Safe, you know, the Safe Banking Act had gotten some momentum prior to the holidays last year. That had uh, died out as uh, Congress started focusing on impeachment, and then uh, COVID nineteen began to sweep the country. And so. Uh, well, you know, those developments have been negative for advancing the interests of statewide legalization measures uh, on the federal level. There's now a renewed push to get this language of the Safe Banking Act included either in uh, a spending bill or, as was most recently proposed uh, this week, in the latest round of coronavirus stimulus. As of the time we're recording this, it remains unclear if that will pass. Uh, yep. You know, uh, I read uh, that this morning, actually. It's the HEROES Act, right? Yeah, that's what they're calling that one. And, you know, uh, people a lot smarter than me have looked foolish trying to uh, publicly waver on what they thought the government was or was not going to do. So, you know, I'm not going to handicap the odds on that one. Um, But I will say, uh, you know, if it passes, it is absolutely a, a huge and monumental sign of progress for the cannabis industry and is, you know, it's not something I want to sell short by any measure. And a lot of people have been working hard on it for a long time. But, you know, I do want to kind of set out for your viewers that my perspective is that it only changes the landscape with respect to cannabis banking uh, somewhat. And so what I mean by this is that the Safe Banking Act legalizes banking cannabis under limited circumstances, uh, but the trade of cannabis is still illegal. And so it remains to be seen uh, if the major credit card brands will allow cannabis transactions on their networks uh, in the U.S. if the Safe Banking Act passes, or if they will require something more like what happened in Canada, which was a full-scale national legalization uh, from coast to coast. And so, uh, you know, for cannabis businesses, uh, I think they may start to see a few more options for where they can open their deposit accounts. I do think they will see those fees start to come down a little bit, as they already have in the last several years. 
as I said before, I don't think the, those fees go uh, to nothing uh, because there still will be compliance. The existing compliance regime is actually written right into the Safe Banking Act. So all of that monitoring and all of that reporting continues to be required. Uh, but we, you know, we don't know if anything really changes on the side of payments, for example. Uh, it, it really remains to be seen there. We also don't know, and you know, uh, this is a for better or for worse uh, kind of thing here, but we don't know. I really don't think the Safe Banking Act will be enough to get Wall Street investment banks fully into cannabis and underwriting deals and uh, having IPOs of cannabis companies, uh, plant-touching ones, uh, you know, on the NASDAQ and New York Stock Exchange, uh, we think that that also might take uh, something more like descheduling uh, and rescheduling cannabis to Schedule 3 or removing it from the Controlled Substances Act entirely. So uh, it may still be confusing out there uh, for cannabis businesses and difficult to obtain certain financial services just as it is now. And if you don't believe me, uh, you don't have to look any farther than the CBD industry today, where uh, hemp and hemp-derived CBD were legalized early last year, thanks to the latest farm bill. And there are some banks out there that have warmed up their policies with respect to opening bank accounts and making loans to hemp and CBD businesses, but most of them still have a difficult time uh, getting bank accounts and getting really truly favorable credit terms uh, and the retailers often have a difficult time getting and keeping their merchant accounts for credit card processing and that's been a year and a half now since that's passed so you know that's uh i, I would expect much the same thing in the u.s if something like the safe banking act uh or its provisions do get passed yeah let's take another break and we come back we'll continue with our conversation time to cut to commercial more of the cutting edge of cannabis is coming up. Trends in technology, processes, and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The cutting edge of cannabis. Consulted by the American Cannabis Company. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. About a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow. The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Fortunate to have Michael Brewer of Brewer and Shipley. Your signature top 10 song, One Toke Over the Line. I've read a couple different versions of, of what the tune's origins are. What's the true story? We were playing a little club in Kansas City. A friend stopped by with some really good hash. We stepped out back and came back in. We're tuning up in the dressing room, and Tom said, Man, I'm really One Toke Over the Line. And I just cracked up. I thought it was hysterical. We literally wrote that song just entertaining ourselves and to make our friends laugh. It's time to Hemp Resent, only on Cannabis Radio. 
the cutting edge of cannabis now continues only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. I've got Dan Rhoda, co-founder and CEO of Abaca. Dan, this has been a wealth of knowledge. I appreciate you kind of breaking some of these things down in more detail for us. Tell me this, what states are you guys operating in in so that our viewers uh, would know where if they are uh, operating in some of these states, they can reach out to you guys and find your service. So where are you, how far is your reach? Sure. Uh, So for plant touching businesses, uh, we're currently uh, able to offer bank accounts in five states, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Illinois, and North Dakota. We're looking to add a couple of new ones there this year, uh, or within the next few months, actually. And for ancillary cannabis businesses, as well as hemp and CBD businesses, we can offer our banking services uh, and payments and lending services really in all 50 states. Oh, that's great. That's huge. I mean, I already have five states that are plant touching with THC, and I'm sure that's going to be ever expanding as you guys, I'm sure, are growing, which I guess that's my next question. What is your growth trajectory for 2020, and what are what, what can we expect to see new from you guys, I guess, with um, some of these new states coming on? Sure. So, you know, we're, we're looking to get into new markets with our banking partners all the time, uh, with the existing banks we work with and adding new ones to the network. So, uh, we are, are hoping to add a handful of states within the next few months and then more later this year, uh, hoping to be shortly in uh, Ohio, Michigan, Montana, and then looking to get into the Northeast later in the year. Um, the other thing we're doing is we're expanding the, really just the, the types of products and services that are available to our customers. So we're their primary banking contact, and certainly the first thing they're looking for when we hear from them is typically a deposit account, a place to put their money. Mm-hmm. We're also here to help with payment processing, with lending, with payroll, with insurance, uh, with any financial service that you would have traditionally gone into and asked your banker about. Uh, we want to be that source for our customers. So that's what we're uh, growing and expanding this year and beyond. I love it. What have been your challenges with uh, starting Abaca and penetrating all these different markets? Well, it's tough. You know, we have to have a handle on the unique regulatory landscape uh, in each market so that we can translate all of that into uh, meeting the compliance needs for our bank. Uh, We have to set up certain infrastructure. Uh, Even though we facilitate electronic payments, we still have to deal with cash, though we've partnered with some good uh, uh, security and cash transportation companies around the country that help us with that. Uh, But, you know, it's the challenges that we face, as I always tell people, we're happy to face them because if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And uh, if if cannabis were, in fact, legal at the federal level, the big banks would have muscled in and taken all their business, all this business right away. And there would be no opportunity for the little guys like Abaca. Yep. And, you know, you don't have to look any farther than this whole mess with the Paycheck Protection Program to see that uh, if you were a bank in any industry, uh, and you had the bad fortune of having your primary deposit business be with one of the big banks, your Bank of America, Wells Fargo, or Chase, you were significantly less likely to be able to get approved for that Paycheck Protection Program loan for your business than if you banked with a community bank. No and kidding. so we are, you know, we're bringing that community banking touch uh, back to cannabis across the country uh, using technology to help expand the reach in a way that community banks can't on their own. That's so great. How has coronavirus impacted your business and the businesses you're supporting? And what kind of changes could we see from this? So, you know, it 
in the cannabis industry in, in most states, including all of the ones where we operate, uh, we've been just as busy as ever before. You know, this was always an industry that took great lengths to be safe and to be hygienic. And so uh, even before some states uh, like Arkansas and Oklahoma uh, were imposing requirements on businesses, we saw businesses be proactive with the steps that they took to operate uh, a clean and hygienic facility because they want to stay open and they want to continue serving uh, their communities. But we've also seen demand for uh, technology to be able to facilitate things like online pre-ordering for pickup or, or curbside or delivery in a lot of states and a huge uptick in, in consumers taking advantage of those services. And, and frankly, I think those are changes that uh, may be likely uh, to remain permanent, you know, on a personal level. Uh, it, it's one of those things where it's a convenience that even though I've enjoyed in the past, whether it is for groceries or for cannabis, going to the store and, and uh, shopping around, uh, the convenience combined with now the safety and security of getting these things delivered, uh, you know, to, to our home and paying electronically, that's, you know, that's not something I'm likely to give up. And I think a lot of consumers perhaps feel the same way. So some of these shifts, uh, you know, I think could really be just the beginning there. Oh, I love it. Dan, any closing remarks here to wrap this up? You know, I, I always feel like by this time that I've been rambling for a long time. So <laughs> anybody who's made it this far, thank you for listening. And uh, feel free to reach out if you'd like to know more. Dan, thank you so much. Uh, Dan Rhoda, co-founder and CEO of Abaca. Uh, you guys look them up if you have any banking needs. Um, thanks for joining this. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Cutting Edge of Cannabis. You can download past episodes of our program by going to cannabisradio.com or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Dan, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.